Welcome to the teacher and the preacher. This program is all about the importance of coming to understand that the Christian community and the Jewish community have more in common than we have been led to believe. Rather than seeing each other as against each other, we need to come to a point of seeing that the statement that our country is a Judeo-Christian nation is much more than just a mere statement, but truly reflects the reality of our nation as it was and should remain. Every week there will be an interesting dialogue about the issues that have divided Jews and Christians and how we can move in bridging the gaps and see that by talking about the issues, we can better move in the direction of having more unity. Unity that will heal and help bring together a nation that is under attack by the forces of atheism, secularism, and a breakdown of family values. Join us now for a discussion between the teacher and the preacher. Welcome to The Teacher and the Preacher. Thank you for joining us again this week on this special program. I'm the preacher, Dave Magera, And I'm the teacher, Harold Berman. And we have a fantastic guest this week that's going to give you some real insight into why the news from Israel is sometimes the way it is and maybe not why uh, the way it should be. U.S.-born Dave Bender is an Associated Press award-winning journalist, an accomplished multimedia producer, and has lived in Israel for four decades, or as he puts it, long enough to know better. Dave resides in the Galilee and northern Israel, where he's an (laughs) award-winning photographer, and where he and his wife Miri tend uh, tend to their beehives and neshika.com, honey, we'll talk about that a little later. Uh, There are grapevines and fig trees, and none shall make them afraid, as the Bible says. Thought a two-decade IDF veteran, Dave's wife and blended family still outrank him. So, Dave, welcome to The Teacher and the Preacher. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you to both of you and your listeners out there. Great. Good to have you on board. So, Dave, maybe you can tell us, uh, we'll start, you know, um, how did you become a journalist? Many, many moons ago, I was a wannabe, would-be radio broadcaster, DJ, at KPFT Pacifica Network Radio in Houston, Texas. And this is right out of high school. I was young and green, and it was a real hardcore rebel radio kind of station. And uh, worked for that for about a year or two. And eventually, while I was there, I decided to finally make Aliyah to relocate, to build my life in Israel, and uh, put it aside for a while. And then an option came up at uh, the then new J-Post Radio and J-Post Online. This is when it was in its infancy. And so I did that for several years and worked as a reporter and as a producer and editor with, uh, with that operation and with many others. And I've worked as a freelancer as well for quite, quite some years in radio and production and uh, things of the like. And only in recent years, uh, last decade or so, I've stepped away from it to tend to other things. My family, my grandchildren, we have our beehives, as you mentioned, and now I deal in photography and videography, and uh, this is where we are now. So, and I've got some interesting memories, I hope, of working in radio here and what it's like being on, how do they say, you know, how, when you know the sausage, how it's made, it's not what it looks like from the outside. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love that. I love that. Well, I'll tell you, uh, for those people who would really like to do a little homework on who this special guest is, I'm telling you, Dave brings to the table some uh, amazing background. He's been very humble in his uh, sharing about his uh, career, but um, he's got 
he's got a long track record of working in the arena of journalism. And, and you know, one of the things that Harold introduced the program with today was this whole idea of the constant battle that Israel has regarding the world of media and the way that the world views Israel and what is the truth that uh, is uh, is ever told and when is it told and who's telling the truth about what actually is going on. And you've had to uh, travel in this kind of arena and in these circles for a number of years. And, and what do you think the biggest challenge is uh, in regards to news coming out of Israel, and, and why is it always a, a battle uh, in regards to Israel to be treated fairly? That's a good question. It's a complex, nuanced question. Very briefly, uh, as I was saying with uh, Harold speaking uh, offline, a lot of times the news that you may want to report is not what the audience for your editor um, or the people that you're trying to sell your story to want to hear. And the situation has changed so radically that there are people I would never even turn to to say, hey, I've got a story I want to pitch to you because it's so unlike the general narrative. And I say narrative and with a small n, not with the politically loaded narrative term. Uh, there's a lot of very good reporters on this end, okay, across the spectrum. And yes, everyone brings their own background and feelings and, and, and faith to what they're doing here. Faith with a big F and a small F. But many times you have to sell that upstream to editors and general managers and news directors that may say, well, that's not the news we're getting here. And either they're all wrong or you're wrong. And so there's, it's kind of, it quells the open back and forth of ideas and, and sharing information, accurate contemporary information. I can give you just one brief example. I help administer a Facebook group with at least 6,000 plus members called Life uh, on the Border near Gaza. And it's made up of predominantly members and residents of villages, towns, kibbutzim, farms that are adjacent to the 40 kilometer long uh, enclave. And it's about daily life and it's about a lot of the complications and trying to speak honestly with each other and with Palestinians in Gaza, the ones that aren't affiliated with Hamas that dare to speak out. So many stories of what happens daily uh, in that group never make it to the news. And I just posted uh, just a couple of minutes ago before we went to air. Today, there have been four terror IED balloon attacks against Israel, at least four. Uh, by this evening, maybe more. Yesterday, there were about 25, at least two dozen. And while they were reported, including one that was, excuse me, an IED that exploded over a playground full of families and children, Thankfully, no one was hurt, but of course they fled. And the, the psychic trauma of that constantly for some two decades now is, is profound. And that's a story that's very rarely told. You'll have a lot of close-up stories of the suffering in Gaza from Israeli retaliatory airstrikes, but not what it's doing to the families and lives and normal lives of very mundane people in thousands, tens of thousands of people in an ark, which now includes most of Israel, um, that are being affected on their end. I just posted a, a screenshot 
of about 20 news stories talking about incendiary balloons that were prompted an Israeli airstrike overnight over two empty buildings that were Hamas-affiliated. Nobody was hurt in the Gaza attack, and all the news sites posted saying incendiary balloons, and it's underlined in red. The New York Times and Al Jazeera both said Israeli airstrikes. They didn't say, you know, how does the line go? It all started when Israel fired back. And that's it's hard yeah. to get through to some people that way when they say, well, this is the, the, the queen of newspapers. This is, you know, the old gray lady. How can they possibly be wrong? And so it's an uphill fight sometimes. And uh, I found myself in embarrassing situations. Once many years ago, uh, I was talking live on NBC News, um, MSNBC then, and it was a live show, and it was live coast to coast in America, and I was a newbie being live on, on radio and television at the time, and I said what I knew to be real and accurate and timely and comprehensive information from this end, and the host all but go chortled back at me that, you know, well, that's not what we're hearing here. And I, I think they were taken aback because they didn't, uh, they didn't get what I was getting. And that, that happens often enough. Yeah, it can put Israel in a very bad light. Yeah. Do you find that there's people, uh, I'm sorry, when I say people, reporters who, you know, they're sent here. Um, and just in your experience, you know, I, I'm sure there are some who have a deep background in the region. Uh, I imagine many don't. I mean, what, what have you found in general in terms of, you know, how much do they even know about what they're seeing and what they're reporting? At one point, there was a uh, press tour, a press junket to uh, the area around Gaza. And it was set up by the Israeli army. So you got a lot of background briefings where you got a lot of inside information. And there was a reporter that was airdropped in. He was from a, a San Francisco newspaper. And I was chatting with him just briefly, just getting acquainted as we were loading our gear and so on. It was a stop and go at various stations and army bases and villages around Gaza. And uh, I said, did they prep you well for this, for this trip? And it's, this guy was airdropped in just for this story. And he said, yeah, I've got both sides. And it's like, I laughed out loud. I don't remember if it was out loud or to myself saying that there's at least two sides. That's where it begins. There's so many nuances going on. And if you're going to look at it as uh, he said, she said, just a punch out between two boxers, then you're, you're doing wrong by your readers and your listeners. You're turning it into a very simple play, a kabuki play where everybody knows the next move instead of giving them something new, creative, interesting, and, and unexpected. And that's an important thing to try to do for any story in any, in any media. So, so, Dave, the American Colony Hotel used to be the famous hangout for most journalists who were assigned to Israel or to, to Jerusalem in particular. Uh, did you find yourself spending much time there across your years in reporting? Actually, not a single time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's crazy. at least two layers of journalists here. At least two. And this is, again, my personal experiences. Uh, you know, someone else could say it didn't happen that way, but this is my story. Uh, I've been thrown out of the best repertorial pool parties around uh, for not 
circling the wagons when there's a narrative. What happens in many cases, you'll have a big situation like the 11-day war between Israel and Hamas, and you'll have a lot of people airdropped in, and they'll stay at hotels, and they talk to each other and to themselves. And then there's people who, reporters who are in the trenches that have lived here and just do their work without the with the suits, without the suits, if you, as it were, as a metaphor. And they don't get into the inner circle of what's being shared out to the world necessarily. Or it'll go through editors who say, well, this guy is, you know, this is on, on a made news, news channel and he's saying this is happening. You're saying that's not happening or there's more to it. Why aren't you saying what he's saying? A few years back, when I was working, ironically, with the Chinese government Xinhua News Agency, which I can already hear heads exploding on your end, Dave, uh, I worked there as a a reporter and editor for a lot of other uh, reporters there from various countries, and I was banging their copy into usable English that was more or less AP-style copy, who, what, where, why, when, how. And we had an editor who was uh, in Cairo, and we'd send our copy through to him. And at one point, and again, there, there was no pressure put on me to adopt a party line or the communist Chinese line. They gave us a lot of free play, uh, more than I think you'd see in some stations in America now, which is, a, I know, an outrageous statement, but I'm going to stand by it. Anyway, I'd, we started getting back at one point feedback from the senior editor saying, why are you putting this story out? I mean, this is, here's what the AP is doing. Here's what Reuters is doing. Here's what uh, a gen- uh, a French news agency is putting out. Why is this so different from that? You need to start doing what they're doing. And uh, it was a hard thing to fight against. And I didn't, and inevitably, I ended up not being at that organization uh, for that and some other reasons maybe we'll get to later on in the show. So did you happen to see like, um, well, actually, I'll tell our listeners about this. There's a wonderful article on this, on how the news gets reported on, if you go to Tablet Magazine online, uh, it's by Mati Friedman. Just type in Mati Friedman Tablet uh, Israel and it'll come up. But he makes this point about, from his experience reporting the news, uh, you know, like you, Dave, um, that there was this narrative among a lot of journalists and certainly among editors that basically the Palestinians have no agency. In other words, you know, Israel is a stronger party. Everything Israel do does, you know, that matters. But you, you can't hold the Palestinians accountable for like shooting rockets or balloons. You can't hold them accountable uh, for, for terrorism because they don't have any agency. I mean, did you find that to be the case? And 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 if you did, uh, you know, I, I'm wondering if if you have some insights from your own experience of of what may be behind that. Well, I wouldn't say that it's the the only attitude uh, among the press that the Palestinians don't have agency, but they are considered generally the weaker side, and uh, you've got to give them cut them slack. Uh, I've well, there was one story that I went out to cover. In Jerusalem, it was in uh, in so-called East Jerusalem, where there were Jews moving into a building. This is about uh, almost ten years ago, and it was it belonged to Jews, and it was a neighborhood that was once a, it was built by and large by Yemenites from the 1800s, similar to the story of Sheikh Jarrah that's uh, been in the news so much with the fighting with Hamas. In any case, I went there and started photographing anything that moved because I wanted I, I work visually 
and then I wrote my story up. And this is, I wrote the story under a pen name because I didn't want it to be connected with the story, but now I'm, I'm telling the story, I'm exposing it. There were press photographers that were from East Jerusalem, Arabs, that were calling to kids who were in a stone-throwing fight with uh, Israeli soldiers, Israeli border police, who were trying to help these people move in and the press photographers were literally calling for the children, harb, harb, give them some war, you know, it, irrespective of the consequences to the children, to an explosive political situation. But they needed the shot. They needed the, they needed the visual. And uh, if you want, I can point that to you or send it via Hal uh, where that story is. And you can read it yourself and see the photos as well that go along with it. Mm. Wow. It's it's an interesting piece because when, as you did such a good job kind of describing this, you, you have this unfair, twisted, sometimes just sheer lies that are being told about Israel, Israel's treatment of the Palestinian people. And um, they don't factor in that Israel is in a horrendous position, a, a horrible predicament of trying to battle an enemy that is embedded with citizens that um, are not uh, equipped to fight, who are not interested in being a part of a conflict, and who uh, differ in their feelings towards Hamas. And this is a page out of the playbook that was going on with, uh, of course, the the war that uh, the U.S. was involved in with, with Iraq, uh, once again embedding themselves, the enemy, in, in, in with um, civilians and, and innocent people. So uh, the world seems to just totally ignore, I'm talking about the world of journalism, seems to ignore some of the factors that are uh, are very much a part of just about any of those stories when it comes to uh, conflict and when it comes to literally literal fighting. And then um, the the work that Israel has trying to get the truth out, fighting against the world's media just to get the truth out of explaining what happened. And a perfect example of that is this recent conflict where they, uh, the IDF struck a building that the journalists um, uh, inhabited. I mean, that was, I think there were several different broadcasting groups that came out of that. And, um, and so it made it look like, you know, there's absolutely no forethought and Israel is just going rogue and dropping bombs and shooting missiles into areas. And, and never got the story behind the story from, from most of the, the, the news media outlets. And that's one of the things that I think that is a very difficult time that Israel constantly has to contend with over and over and over again, uh, where they're made always out to be uh, the worst of the worst. Well, as for that building, as it turned out, the IDF released information and that was also shared with the head of AP who he and his press colleagues went ballistic, excuse the expression, uh, over Israel's bombing. Apparently, there was Iranian equipment there that was used to possibly jam the uh, Iron Dome batteries uh, surrounding Gaza. 
and Israel said, we have to take this down. And they gave them uh, at least an hour or two to get the people out and whatever equipment. And yes, there was a lot of mm-hmm. material loss, no question there. But it was not uh, a war crime, and it was not stopping the press. I mean, there was a lot of information going in and out of that building and other buildings. The information still got out. But uh, the IDF did take it down. Part of what you said, though, uh, you mentioned that Israel has to explain. That is one of the key terms here. Uh, Not everything can be sold like uh, soap, okay? And while Israel can get out and needs to get out in front of the story, it's not going to do so if it's going to endanger an operation or civilians. And when you have... A, a normal army and a government and a regular regular government, you have a protocol you have to follow that takes care of those issues. You can't just say anything you want and make a bellicose threat and or make things up because everyone's looking at you under a microscope. Uh, let me give you another example. Many years, no, not so many years back, actually, it's about five years back, I was in a meeting About five years ago, I attended a ceremony for intelligence officers that were just graduating a course. It was in a base in the south of the country, and it was a meeting just for family of the soldiers. And there was an officer, a young officer that was finishing the course, a woman who was a drone operator, and she was in charge of a drone team. And it was one of the armed kind of drones. And she was given an award for not, I repeat, not firing on a particular car with some people who, as they say in the old westerns, needed killing because there were civilians, uh, non-combatants in the vicinity that could have been hurt. And we're talking about very, very micro-precise weaponry. It'll take out the car and not like a storefront 30 feet away. It's astonishing how this works. It's not always perfect. There's a collateral damage, but it's not intentional. She was given an award at a private ceremony that no one was ever to talk about, no one would ever know about besides the families, because the army wanted to show she's the example that everyone should follow. She's the thing we're proud of. And I was there in the room. Interesting. And it was so moving. So when you see the IDF uh, reported taking down a building, many times what they'll do, they'll cell phone Everybody in the building, they have a way of doing it through their intelligence organizations. Right. To cell phone everyone said, you've got 10 minutes, half an hour, whatever, to get out of the building. And then, in other circumstances or similar circumstances, they'll drop a dummy bomb. It's called the knocking protocol. Well, they'll drop a dummy bomb on the top of the building, which doesn't explode, but it makes a lot of noise and you know, shakes the building. And everyone is aware. It's like, we're ki- this is the building. Okay, this is the one that's going down. So get out. Nobody does that. No other army does that. Not the U.S. Army, not the British Army. The amount of civilians relative to the combatants that are found later on to have been combatants and not all civilians, that was one of the most egregious things the New York Times did recently. They showed 56 children. It turned out some of them weren't the children. Some of them were just they were fighters. They were older. It's like it was just a total fabrication. It was the front page of the New York Times. And it was really, you see that in your blood boils. I mean, you, you have to keep an even keel when you're reading this stuff and, and read, know how to read it. But this was so over the top 
and knowing what I know, and I also served in the Army, and I also served years ago in Gaza, okay, and on patrols. I was in infantry, um, artillery and infantry. And the steps we took to stay out of people's lives were really stunning. We don't go in and bust things up. Not when there's no reason not to. You, you want to continue in people can continue their normative lives. We weren't in major urban areas. We were in more rural areas. And it was poor farmers. It was subsistence-level farming. And we didn't go in and make trouble for people. What we did do is try to stop and work with uh, army forces to stop terror attacks, but not to impact, unduly impact, normative people's lives. Yeah, Yeah, that's... Wow. So important. So, Dave, I, w- I just want to make sure uh, before the show ends that we get to this. Um, this has all been amazing and I, I think just a uh, real revelation uh, for a lot of us because you, again, you, you know, you get the news and you're wondering, you know, why are they reporting it this way? And it's like, okay, this, this is why. Um, but the, there's also, um, there's what you're doing now because you, you, you've had a, a good long career in journalism and I know you're doing some other things now. So I just want to make sure I mention this for our listeners because uh, Dave also is an award-winning photographer. He produces amazing photography. So if you go to, do I have this right, Dave, Brian excuse me, uh, is it David Brian Bender.com? Uh, so David Brian, B-R-I-A-N, Bender, B-E-N-D-E-R.com. And you can see some of uh, Dave's amazing photography. These are all shots of Israel. So if you want to have an amazing photo of an amazing place in Israel in your home, this is the place to go. And with his wife, Miri, he also, they keep bees and they produce uh, some of the best honey in the world is actually in Israel. And they produce honey and other products, uh, bee products and honey products. That's Nashika, N-E-S-H-I-K-H-A. Dot com And if you go to either of these sites, uh, davidbryanbender.com for the photography or Nishika uh, for the honey, um, Dave, for about uh, from now to about a week from this broadcast, um, there's a coupon code. I just want to let you know uh, in all caps, teach, preach, T-E-A-C-H, P-R-E-A-C-H. Um, and you'll get a 10% discount on on all of this. So um, it's it's a nice way to support Israel and also to get a piece of Israel for yourself. Uh, and and again, I, we'll go back now to talking about journalism, but I just did want to get that in because uh, it's uh, some amazing stuff that you're doing. Thank you very much. So before we, because we, 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 we burned up the clock and it's mm-hmm. screaming at me here, I want to encourage our listeners, please chase Dave down. Uh, go to those places. We'll also post it on our website so you can have direct access to it. Dave, it's been great to have you with us this week on the program. And uh, we, we, we pray God's blessings on you and your family. And um, thank you for joining us. Until next week, may the God of Israel who never slumbers or sleeps, may he watch over Israel and our Jewish friends. And may God bless America. Amen. Amen. The Teacher and the Preacher will be back next Sunday for another discussion on how Christians and Jews can come to once again proclaim that the United States is truly a Judeo-Christian nation. To contact the Teacher and the Preacher, email them at theteacherandthepreacher at gmail.com. That's theteacherandthepreacher at gmail.com. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and give you shalom.